0: OK, so we're going to start in now on what I call Getting the Model Right, Part 2, Guiding Principles from Science. So we've looked at some of the principles that we need to be take, taking into consideration um, from inspiration. We need to be consistent with those principles. And I will tell you that there is only one model. Now, again, like I said, you're going to have some variants of that. And this is not about when I say that, I'm not saying to you, I'm going to show you what the right model actually does. In one class or another, we're going to eventually get to all this. In the last class, which I leave for the last for a reason, uh, insects, diseases, and weeds. Does anybody have any problems with any of those things? We're going to talk about why they're there and what what you do to eliminate that problem. And a lot of people tell me, "Oh you that that you just can't do that." But I'll save some of the explanation for, for later. I have experienced that personally myself, and it's consistent with the Bible. That's not that's another principle I didn't bring up. The, the fact that thousands will be falling at your right hand and 10,000 at your left, and what? It won't come near the. The Bible also says that the curse causeless shall what? The curse causeless shall not come. Okay, if there's a problem, there's a reason. There's a deformity that hasn't been addressed in there. So, um, but we're going to get to stick with me because I can't get it all in one one presentation. But it's kind of a tapestry and it all kind of comes together when you, when you put all the pieces together, you start to see the bigger picture. So we'll, we'll get there. Okay, has anybody seen that pie chart before? What, what is that a pie chart of? Soil. What kind of soil? Ideal. Ideal soil, right. Now after I said that, somebody wasn't somebody gonna say, Well, how do you get that? Because I don't have that. You know what your answer would be in most cases, even at the university level? We don't know how to get that. Besides, you have what you have and you're stuck with it and just make the best of it. And you'll see as we look at these different schools of thought why the soil is bypassed to a large extent. God didn't give us permission to bypass the soil because he didn't give us permission to bypass our own character and, and facing our, our own condition. But there's a reason that it's, it's bypassed. And because it's hard work. It's hard work. I, and I might as well say that now because if any of you came here thinking you were gonna get a, silver, a magic bullet or some quick fix, it's not gonna happen but you get there you get there and every step along the way it gets better and for some people it might take them the rest of their lifetime for some people it may be a little bit easier but you get there okay this is pretty much universally accepted as a as a model of the ideal soil and that mo- that ideal soil half of the Half of the space that it takes up would be in solids. And, and of those solids, about 45% would be mineral, rock fragments, rock material. Soil separates is the technical term they call Sand, silt, and clay. Um, and then about 5% of it, and that depending on which chart you look at, some will say 40 to 40 to 45, and then 5 to 10 on the organic matter, 5% of it would be organic matter. And we're gonna define some of these terms specifically in in the next hour as we wrap these initial ones up. Um, But organic matter is just basically, it's testimony. Let me just put that term on it. It's any plant or animal uh, material that's decaying in the soil. So it's past testimony. If you change the term and you put biomass on it, then it would include living testimony. Uh, but you want about that much, about 5% organic material. And by the way, we'll talk about that more with the carbon fertility part of it. Um, you can, a soil will grow something, seeds will germinate, and plants will grow as long as there's at least a fraction of a percentage of organic matter. If you lose all of it, you know what happens to the soil? Nothing will grow. Nothing. It's di- it dies. You've got to have at least a little bit of witness there, a little bit of testimony to get that, get that to keep going. And we're losing hundreds of thousands of acres a year because of the loss of that. Hundreds, hundreds of thousands of acres are going, turning to desert because of the loss of that. Okay, so that's that's the solid side of it, and I call it another. I call it by another term. I say that's the determined side of it. That's the solid side of it, and it's the determined side of it. In other words, it's not negotiable. Okay, it, you can't decide. Now we're talking just in, in gross terms here, in general terms, that that's half solid material but it's not negotiable. It's determined, okay? The other half, and I'll elaborate on that a little more as we go along. The other half of that volume is taken up in pore space. And of that pore space, which is half of that volume, half of that volume, or about 25% of it, will be air, and half of it will be filled, that pore space will be filled with water. Okay, now that's the, that's the ideal soil. There's no, no contention that I've ever heard from any source about this being the model soil. Because they're right. It is. Do you recognize something uh, that we've already said that's the same as that? God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his mouth the breath of life and man became a living being. Amen. That's the model. Right there. It's consistent. Now, um, we don't have a whole lot of detail on that. Oh, what I should say on this side. I used the term random. You remember when Jesus talks, talked to Nicodemus and he said you had to be born again? And and, he's, and Nicodemus you know, was a little confused about what he was talking about, and how, how did Jesus describe the wind that blows? I mean, he was comparing the Holy Spirit, and he said, the wind blows where it will, and you don't know where it came from, or where it went. Um, he's representing, he's representing the Holy Spirit in the same way that it's represented in this model. If that soil cannot breathe, if it does not have the breath of life in it, you have all kinds of problems. If it has the I'm going to put a different term on it. If you have the wrong spirit, you're going to have a lot of problems. The key is, that how do you get the right spirit? And it, the key is over here. Getting the right spirit. Now, we can do things to cause this to be the wrong spirit, even when that's right, but it, it, you really have to fight it <laughs> to, to, to make that happen. Um, so what we need to do... That's the ideal soil. We're going to look at some of the different schools of thought and see how they stack up with this and the, and the, and the, the guiding principles that we, we got from inspiration to see, you know, is this what we should be following? Is this what we should be pursuing as far as growing things and working with our soil? Uh, because we have to... This is pretty straightforward. And by the way, if you, if you read about the Holy Spirit... How is he represented in the Bible? As the rain, as the breath, as the oil. And you're going to see that one here. You're going to see the combination of these two things here when we get to that. Um, Okay, so let's, let's look at some of the schools of thought. Okay, the first one we're going to look at is the conventional school of thought in agriculture. Um, It's pretty much the majority of what agricultural practice is. And it's based on selective chemistry. And What I mean by that is they choose the chemistry that they want to apply to achieve a certain objective. And we're going to get to that in a minute. And it's the difference between what do most growers, what do you get paid by when you grow stuff? By how much you you yield, right? by the volume of what you produce. Now, the assumption is, well, it's not really an assumption, it is kinda, that you can't get yield and quality at the same time. It's a difference between, and we're gonna look at it in just a second, it's a difference between photosynthetic production and biosynthetic production. Photosynthetic, yeah, we'll say that. Let's just get through these and we'll, we'll, we'll get on to I'm gonna look at that a little bit, a little bit deeper. Okay, so what you have in conventional agriculture is so they'll select the chemistry that they want to emphasize to produce yield. It's incomplete chemistry, and when I talk about chemistry, I'm talking about that mineral side. So when I use the term chemistry, I'm talking about the mineral side of that, that model. Okay? They use selective chemistry that will get them the highest yield, not necessarily the highest quality but the highest yield. And what is the consequence of that when you use incomplete and imbalanced chemistry? What is the consequence of that? Malnourishment, yeah, Mal- malnourishment. And so what is the consequence of that? And then what is the consequence of that? What do we do? What do we do to deal with it? What happens if you're a grower and your crop is sick and you don't do anything about it? It's going to die, right? I mean, you're never going to get it to market. I, I ran across a guy. I, I used to drive a semi for a natural foods company. And I was coming, I was heading towards Roswell, New Mexico, and the semi just flew by me. And in the back were a bunch of dairy cows. You can tell they were dairy cows. Some of them were feet up, you know. And I, I just got on the CV and I asked the guy, boy, where are you in such a big hurry to? And everything. I said, I got to get these cattle to the slaughterhouse before they die. Or they can't kill them. Now, you try to figure that out. But, you know, if you can't get it to the market, then you can't sell it, and you, you can't make a living. But let me, let's just reason through this here. So, so you've got to have, as a consequence of incomplete and imbalanced chemistry, you have to have a lot of interventions, right? You have to have a lot of interventions that do what? Does it, does it correct the problem with the crop? No. What does it do? It buys you the time to get the cattle that are dying to the slaughterhouse. What are, you tra- what are you passing on when you take that product to the market and you sell it to somebody? What are you passing on to them? Are you passing on abundant health? What did Jesus say he came to do? Give us life and give us more abundantly. So you're just passing the problem on to the person who's gonna consume that. And what are they gonna require? Look at our health system, our healthcare system. What are they requiring? Interventions. You know, it's amazing to me, when I started doing this consulting, I didn't go looking for it, somebody asked me to do it, and then from there, you know, a several hundred clients out. But um, most, of, most growers have a, a fertilizer budget, or fertility budget about this big, little, and an intervention budget like this, huge, and I tell him, I said, if you can flip that, you're going to be, you're, first of all, you're not going to need that whole intervention budget, and all that extra money that you're spending on interventions is going to go into your pocket rather than, you know, to pay for all those interventions. Uh, huh? Yeah. I'll give you a really good, this is a great illustration of this. It's a, it's a dairy in Australia, big dairy. They chose to, to, to restore complete and balanced fertility to their land because they, they, they were just having all kinds of problems with their cows and everything. I mean, you, they used to milk cows for, for years. Now you're lucky if you get six months out of them before you've got to send them to the slaughterhouse. But they chose to, to restore a complete and balanced fertility to their land And within four years, they were making a million dollars a year more. Now, the interesting thing is where the money came from. They got about a couple hundred thousand dollars more out of increased quality of the milk. They're just pushing those cows so hard now, they they didn't get that much more yield, that many more more gallons of milk or pounds of milk because they measure it. They just got higher cream content. They got higher... You know, quality of the milk. And so they got a premium for it because of that. So they were making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year more on that. The other eight hundred thousand dollars was in saved vet bills and drug costs. So they were putting eight hundred thousand dollars a year more into their pocket because they didn't have to pay the vet and buy the drugs to keep the cows alive so they can milk them. This is the same as true for growing fruits and vegetables and produce. We are spending now. I did this about ten years ago, and I haven't updated it. But we are spending about half what we are we used to on food. Now, about half. We're spending at least five to six times more on healthcare, and that's only on healthcare. There's all kinds of other interventions that are required because of um, poor productivity and poor quality of life and everything and dysfunction. It's you know, so we're not. It's not that we. We have a cheap food policy in our country here. And um, we're not not spending the money. Let me put it that way. We're spending way more money than we would have to. And so that way more of that, those resources could stay with us to do something productive, not to mention the quality of life that would be better than that. Did you have a question? Yeah, quick question. Where does these? Well, Jacob mitlider was... Um, somewhere between he, he he falls somewhere between well a little bit of all of them he, he tried to in, in difficult situations he tried to, he understood chemistry he understood fertility and he applied it in a, in a fairly balanced way but sometimes he would just bypass the soil because it was it was a very particularly in the mission field in the third world, where you have difficulty acquiring resources and and everything, it was it was a little bit easier just to kind of go more with the soluble chemical, um, soluble fertilizer approach. Now, um, it's a little harder to build to 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 restore the balance of that soil and to get the durability in it that you want. Now, he wasn't applying he wasn't applying imbalanced chemistry. It's just that he was. And we're going to get to this, too. He was feeding the crop and not the soil. And what you want to do is feed the soil and let the soil feed the crop. Um, that comes back to our character. You know, when, you, when you, you, you have a correct character, that character can nourish all kinds of different things. It doesn't matter. Uh, we'll talk about blueberries. How many, of you, how many of you think you can grow blueberry? You have to grow blueberries on an acid soil. Have anybody heard that? Okay, we'll talk about that later. Not true. <laughs> I just had I just had one of my clients who runs a blueberry nursery in Kentucky speak. Uh, did a thirty-minute presentation at the Fruit and Vegetable Growers Conference in Kentucky on growing blueberries organically, and he just blew everybody out of the water. He had such phenomenal. He just this is the new planting, and he just just had phenomenal growth. He didn't have to apply any interventions. Uh, and he had something that, which I'll, I'll elaborate on a little bit later, he had something that's supposed to be an absolute no-no. He had 80% saturation of calcium. Huge amount of calcium, pH of 7.8. And his blueberries were doing beautiful. And I'll explain why as we get into, get into that. Now you don't want that, that's, that's excessive, that's excessive in that, but we're gonna talk about why you can get away with that. You can't get away with it without any other element. You can get a, you can, can get away with it, calcium. The conditions are right. Okay. We better keep moving here. We won't get all the way through these. Um, the next the next school of thought and, and and one that's up and coming. How many people in this in this uh, room haven't heard of organic agriculture? I bet every single one of you heard it. Um, organic agriculture is based on carbon fertility. Now you remember that that reference I gave you that principle from uh, Isaiah 20 to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to these, the law and the testimony, then there's no light in them, okay? Organic agriculture, um, they believe in carbon fertility, that the application, and it's pre- particularly predominantly overtly applied organic matter, compost, castings, manures, you know, organic materials, is will restore your soil. We'll provide everything that's needed to your soil. Um, what they're telling you with that is, and when you when you look at these now up here, what they avoid, what they avoid up here is addressing a standard. They want to decide what the standard is because they want to decide the outcome. They want to decide the standard here. They predominantly, the, the school of thought predominantly ignores the standard. That's the mineralization part of it, okay? When I say the standard, that's the mineralization part of it. That's the determined part of it. Um, they believe that your and let me know if, you, if any of you have heard this, all that matters is your experience. Has anybody heard that? All that really matters is your own experience. Right? Have you heard that? This is what this is the philosophy that's being pushed in this school of thought with the soil. Is that all that matters is your experience? Now, is any book out there, any book out there, okay to read? Do you think any book you read uh, would be nourishing to you, or do you think there may be some testimony out there that may not be very good what happens here carbon fertility is a combination of the air what I call the air elements hydrogen oxygen carbon dioxide and actually believe it or not I'll just say that because I don't want to confuse anybody complicated the air elements and the mineral elements When that organic matter begins to break back down into a stable form as humus, humus is balanced. And so if you have any excesses in minerals or imbalances, when it breaks down, what happens to the air elements that are extra? So what happens when the organic matter breaks down into a stable form, which is called humus, which is balanced? um, Any excess air elements, Oxygen and hydrogen, which can be in the form of oxygen or water, H2O, uh, and carbon dioxide, will return to the atmosphere. What happens to the minerals? What happens to the earth elements? The solid the solid part of it, the determined part, what happens to it? Where does it go? It stays there. This is the hazard of, of this approach. Now carbon fertility is very important and you're going to see that when we do this when we do this session on carbon fertility. The real question is how is there a standard that should determine when you apply this and what you apply or do you just apply whatever you can get your hands on? And another thing that happens here is they just, uh, growers just pile it on. They don't even, you're supposedly uh, imitating nature but nature nowhere applies the level of residues that most people apply. You, you would see a very thin, thin layer would be the amount of residue that you would wind up with on a, uh, in a natural system. I, I, I know people applying, they'll, they'll, especially gardeners, they'll put it on a half inch thick. You know They want to cover the whole soil and put it on. They don't realize the amount they're putting on is the equivalent of probably 50 to 75 tons of material to the acre. It's a massive amount of material, and I can look at a soil test now, and minus it being a parent material issue, I can tell what people's favorite fertilizers are. Is that true based with on, compost tea also? Well, with compost tea, no, because you're, and this is the way, I have growers who cannot use any organic material. They have to, they have to, they, they have to establish the testimony themselves, if you want to put it that way. But with, our, with compost tea, which we'll talk about in Carbon Fertility, um, you're not applying all of that material, you're just applying enough to, to pr- apply the microbes. And, and so no, it's not, it's not the same thing, and in fact, I tell growers who cannot use this material that using it, well, it's good anyway, but using a compost tea program is really helpful for them. So, Yeah, there's a grower out in California, they put 75 tons of the acre every year. And you can get away with that for a while because, now, carbon fertility is very important. Remember I said, you never get complete error all the time. There's always something good about it. Carbon fertility is important. The plant prefers its nutritional supply in the organic form. The reason for that is because it takes a whole lot less energy. And in fact, the plant will actually dump its photosynthate. It'll dump its energy out the roots, into the soil, give it to the microbes in the soil. They'll build, they'll take the minerals and the, the energy, and they'll build these complex compounds and give it back to the plant in exchange for more, more energy, more photosynthates. And the plant actually can, can put out very specific exudates out the roots to, to attract and multiply very specific populations of the micro microbial populations bacterial populations fungal populations it's way beyond way beyond anything we comprehend and so i say to people what we'll talk about when we get to the biology part of it let nature do what god designed it to do because it knows how to do it way better than you do and for way less cost um we're, yeah, I better not go down that road because it'll take a while. But we're, we're now putting interventions on top of interventions. We're putting, instead of getting glue from the microbes, we're putting acrylamides or, uh, yeah, acrylamides on the soil to glue it together because it's all coming apart. So here's another external intervention. We're putting um, polymers in to hold water because we burn out the, the, the humus, the organic matter in the soil we've burned it out. So now we're putting synthetic polymers in to try to hold water. What we'll, we'll talk about as we get to each one, as we, you'll see how they interact and, and work with each other, where you know having a high humus content gives you a buffering. It gives you, it holds water, it holds nutrients. And so it's very important, but it's important within the correct model. And so just willy nilly applying car, you know, organic matter and su- saying it's gonna supply everything um, the biggest problem you run into with it, and we're going to talk about it, when we get to the anions, is with phosphorus. Sometimes with potassium. Because potassium can be leached out. Sometimes a lot of times it doesn't become an issue, but phosphorus doesn't go anywhere. And it just keeps accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. And with time, you'll start your your particularly your vegetative crops will start getting bitter because of those high levels. And the problem with that one is that nobody knows how to get rid of it. You just have to grow it out. And I know growers have been trying to grow out excessive phosphate for 20 years. And they haven't hardly moved it. Because somebody was asking me, oh, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reserves in the soil that are in, in the rock material, the parent material, that if it can be broken down, will become available for you. If the biology can break it, if the conditions are right, it can be broken down and made available, and phosphate's one of those. And so you get it all out the roof already, and then you've got a good biological thing going on, they're just going to keep releasing it. And so you can go for decades sometimes and and never be able to straighten that out. It's not a situation you want to get yourself into. Um, So, the organic school of thought, it's actually going to parallel another phenomena going on spiritually here, because they have the same philosophy. This is primarily the movement, not the concepts about it that are good, like, natural systems uh, and the carbon fertility or the organic materials but the movement itself is based on pantheism on pantheism you all know what pantheism is the movement itself is based on pantheism and it's based on the the idea that the earth is evolving and that all of creation is God and so all that matters is your experience because it's moving you along with everything else to uh um get you there. I had brought up before, you'll hear that term formation instead of reformation. Has anybody here heard of spiritual formation? It parallels this philosophy. It's it's an experience that's not anchored by a standard. And it parallels the same thing going on, the same thing going on with this. The devil doesn't leave any discipline untouched and he tends to use the same tactics. The same the same methodologies okay better hop to it here or I won't won't get this all done. Um, the biodynamic school of thought biodynamics is primarily focused on the flow of energy. Now I didn't put on that pie chart up above it I should have put a Sun with an arrow coming down because energy the constant input of energy is required for the rest of that to work. It's like the, the constant the constant, input of the constant upholding of life by God. If he, if he, didn't, if he didn't uphold life, it wouldn't exist. And that's what this, the, that part of that model represents, is the, the constant input, there has to be a constant input of energy. And biodynamics primarily focuses itself, now there's some overlap in all of these, and so I'm not, I'm not focusing on every particular about this, this school of thought, but they focus on energy flow making sure that the energy is flowing in, in the right way. And this is a very legitimate issue as well. Some of you may have heard the term EC, or measuring the EC of your soil, which is the electrical conductivity of the soil. If your salt load, is, soluble salts is too high, your EC is gonna be high. It's like, it's like um, sticking your finger in an electrical socket. You know, short-circuiting, you're short-circuiting the, the flow of energy, the coherent flow of energy, and, and it winds up doing damage to the roots of the plant, to, to the, uh, wherever, it, wherever it has that impact. So the continual flow of energy and the coherent flow of energy is important to the soil system. But once again, what do you think they ignore? they ignore the mineralization and the standard again they're supportive of this it's not their primary focus but they're supportive of the carbon fertility they're supportive of the bio- biology but they ignore the standard the mineralization they believe if you get the energy flow right and you that you work with these natural systems that it'll, it'll work it all out and it'll balance it all out and you'll reach your godhood is the way do they do that? What, is, what, what? do they do? It shows they make. The energy to the soil. They they, they, ha, they have different materials that they make, uh, and and some of it some of it's a little esoteric, and so some of it they're they're capturing and calling down the energy from the cosmos into. Uh, into a ram's horn with certain materials in it and in that so it's it's, some of it some of it is legitimate science when you look at you know some of the aspects of it some of it is very esoteric and, and getting a little too far out there for me but the fundamental flaw with it is they're not they're not they're not using a standard to measure what they're um, witnesses, what their testimony is, it's it's all based on one aspect of it again, energy and energy flow and, but again, once again, the standard is left behind and if, I hope you're starting to see this, that this is what's happening in the world they don't want a standard they don't want any absolutes no all right, so they're coming up with all kinds of ways to deal with life and experience it that will leave that out of the equation okay Permaculture, and if anybody has any questions, just feel free to raise your hand if I didn't explain something well enough or you want. Uh, Permaculture, I put up there, keep what you've got. In the the school of thought of permaculture, the idea is to to just preserve what you still have. There There are some methodologies to try to improve that, but by and large, it's really about Protecting the system from any more loss by putting it in permanent culture, not disturbing it. Um, there are some other t- details that I could put on that, but that's fundamentally, you know, th- there's really not a heavy focus on restoring. It's it's just preserving the the culture that you have, and the, the assumption that that that, that Nature is going to, which it will do to the extent that it can, and nature will heal and restore. But again, they're not looking at any standard. They're not looking at mineralization and any standard related to that. Now, let me just say that there are people in these different schools of thought that do take that into consideration. Okay, so it's not, I'm not excluding everybody that's involved. I'm talking about the general philosophy of the school of thought. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's overlap. Like I said, permaculture is going to be sympathetic to the energy thing. They're going to be sympathetic to the carbon fertility. They're going to be sympathetic to the, the biology. Um, they're just not going to go for the standard again. They believe that these other things are sufficient. And it comes back to pantheism again. It comes back to the philosophy of that the creation is the creator itself. And so... Um, Okay, this one's a big one right now, and, it, and it, it really creates a lot of conflict, probably more conflict, believe it or not, than any any of these others. And it's the biological school of thought. Um, have anybody taken any classes on soil biology from, like, Dr. Elaine Ingham or any of those? Okay. Um, she's the one, Dr. Elaine Ingham, uh, I can't remember where she is now. She was at Rodale, and before that she was at Oregon State and ran Soil Food Web where they would, they could take and they would take your soil and they could do a count on what your soil biology was and you could use compost teas, hmm. you, you could use compost teas that you made specific ways to emphasize fungal domination or, or bacterial domination. Um, and the assumption here is that the biology can fix any soil, the biology can go and get the minerals that are in the soil and, and restore balance to that soil. Remember the principle that we talked about, the whosoever principle that a model has to be able to apply anywhere to any soil and any crop. Well, there's a problem with this one on that. If you're up in North Dakota in glaciated soils where with a wide mix of, of rock material, parent material that's been mixed together, you're in a, a moderate rainfall environment, so you have young soils, what they call young soils. This works great because the, min- the, the mineralization might not necessarily be completely balanced, but the biology in the soil and the plants, believe it or not, want it balanced. And so the biology is going to take it to the most stable position it can be in. And if you have a reservoir like that, this, this system works great. Now let's move to Mississippi in highly weathered soils, high rainfall, highly depleted, highly weathered, that's not gonna work. You can put compost teas on and the only benefit you're gonna get is from whatever nutrition you get out of the compost tea with the microbes you put on. But there's just not enough fertility in those those worn out soils for this to work. And if we're gonna embrace a model, and I took classes from Dr. Ingham, very smart woman and, and has tremendous knowledge that would be beneficial to everybody about the soil biology itself, the microbes in the soil. In fact, I brought the primer that she did for the USDA. I think it's one of the best little books to learn about soil biology. Um, but I just don't believe in that philosophy. I can't because I, I have to be able to apply the whosoever. I have to be able to apply that principle Wherever I go, it has to work. I should be able to apply it, and it will work for any soil. And it just doesn't. It just doesn't. So now... What is marginalized in her, in this, in this, uh, biological soil model, what's, what's marginalized in, in her thinking? It's just her assumption that, that nature, again, we're back to nature again. Nature can fix anything. Now, I will say that nature can fix anything if it's given the means to do it. Nature is not in rebellion against God, and when when the the soil life, the biology in the soil, is given the resources, it can do tremendous things to heal the land. But when you have a philosophy that it will do it in spite of the standard, again. Oh, so it might ignore the selective chemistry or something like that. Well, you don't have the chemistry. She'll she'll say. Deal with Well, you just don't have it. Nothing from nothing still equals nothing okay now the the contention is made that every soil has everything in it that's needed which is almost true but it doesn't so so what i say is there are some situations that are borderline on this and i say how long are you willing to wait because in about a 50 to 100 years they'll get some of it worked out they still won't be there that's why when the 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 pilgrims came and they cut the forest down and they farmed and they grew a great crop one year and then what happened the next year? It did terrible. Well again you have overlap here and so you may have, you know I was listening to a woman who works with the soil biology stuff and she was working with a farm up in Minnesota again they're up in the glacial belt Um, working with us, they didn't have a lot of money And so I'm not throwing, I I want you just to see that it's not a complete model, it's what I want you to see. Because they were using soil biology, they couldn't afford the the fertilizers. And so they were using compost tea and whatever amounts of compost they they could make on the farm. They were using compost tea and they were using the biology to extract some of the minerals, the nutrients, out of the soil. And it was working fairly well but it wasn't working completely. And so it can work, yes. And it is beneficial. Biology, I I will tell you, the model that that I'm going to tell you is right, the man who developed that model, which is totally consistent with that biblical model, the man who developed that model was a soil microbiologist. And his ultimate goal, his ultimate goal, was to get that soil so that the biology could fully function. But he learned that without a standard, without uh, a complete and balanced mineralization, and we're gonna get to this, you can't get, the soil can't breathe. And carbon fertility and soil biology cannot do what they can do without that that foundation. Right, because you're... Uh, it is, I think one thing to point out is that each of these by uh, itself will not be a complete, uh, complete solution. Right. But as you take parts of these, right. uh, I would use compost tea very successfully. Yeah, if compost you know, tea is a, compost is a great thing. Uh, we'll talk about it some when we get to carbon fertility. Believe it or not, it takes very little mineral to grow. Most of, what, most of what that tree is, is air. Air and water. And it takes very little mineral. So when you're doing a compost tea, you're putting enough nutrients in with those microbes that they can help that tree or whatever it is to grow much better. The problem with it is, is you're not really building soil fertility. You're feeding that crop again through, via the the compost tea but you're not really restoring the mineral balance in the soil so that the plant can then start nourishing itself from the soil itself in a more stable in a more stable way. So again, all of these have virtues virtuous aspects to them and as we go through the different these different things in the different classes, I'm going to point those out. Biology can do so much for you so much cheaper. They're designed by God to do very specific things. And when you give them the conditions to do it, they're phenomenal. So I'm not throwing that out. I'm just saying that, again, you're not measuring this by a standard. You're trying to In all these cases, you're trying to bypass that standard. You're trying to, you're trying to solve the problem yourself rather than have to acknowledge that there is an authority that has to be answered to. And so that's, that's where you get this consistent issue. The standard is ignored. Sometimes, But as we get to this, I'm going to tell a story about this. What I, the model that I use is called the Albrecht CEC model, and I'll explain what CEC is. It's based on complete and balanced fertility. It was actually, Dr. Albrecht didn't, he taught at the University of Missouri from the early 1900s and up until uh, the early 60s when he retired, I think it was in 59 actually he retired. And what he said, th- he, he, he was a true scientist. He said, don't, he s- said go out and learn from nature, not in the lab, because what you can do in the lab, nature, nature can do things that you can't do in the lab, and you may be able to do things in the lab nature's not gonna do out, out, out in reality. And so, what he didn't discover what's called the cation exchange model. The CEC stands for cation exchange capacity. Uh, he didn't discover the cation exchange model, he just made it work by discovering what it was supposed to actually be made up of through decades of research. And it's, it's fascinating to read some of his research. He could take rabbits and within a few weeks he could make them infertile. And a few weeks later, he could, by changing their nutrition, going from complete and balanced nutrition to malnutrition, he could make them infertile and then take them back to fertile. And make them infertile and take them back to fertile. And he just did this kind of work to figure out what, what was that determined aspect. You remember, we saw over there it was 45% mineral. What minerals? What is, what is the balance that should be there? And so the... and. The way of looking at that is, what is the character of God? Is it variable? It's not variable. There's a, there, there is a, a, a measurable standard. It was just a matter of us trying to make, understand that. Now, do we understand every particular about that yet? No. Because it's just not being pursued aggressively. It's a, it's a remnant of people that are adhering to this, this model. A remnant. It's very, it's very few people. But I will tell you, after 25 years that science if it's true science is repeatable it's demonstrable it's observable and and after and it is this model has never failed and that's a big statement to say but i'm saying that that model when it's it's faithfully employed has never failed at restoring the soil to health. and when we get to the diseases and the insect pests and weeds we're gonna talk about when you, get to the, when you restore that balance, those things, that, those conditions change. You change the conditions and so you're changing the outcomes on it. Um, so this school of thought is based on complete and balanced fertility. It starts at the foundation. It starts at the standard rather than one of these you know, secondary or tertiary priorities It starts at the standard, understanding that if the chemistry is right, and we're going to talk about why that is, if the chemistry is right, the soil can breathe. And when the soil can breathe and the chemistry is right, the biology fully functions, and when that happens, the carbon fertility or the fruitfulness of that soil is at its best, is at its optimum. But it totally goes and it starts at the foundation, rather than on one of these other one of these other things and it is actually the chemistry it's the character of that mineralization that structures the soil to give it the porosity now experience the organic matter can do structuring too um, and, and we're going to talk about that and we're but we're going to talk about how it structures it's specific minerals in the soil that actually structure the soil and, uh, and create the porosity that allows that soil to breathe. So you remember, in a, you know, earlier on there, I said, um, I said uh, a lot of people have seen that pie chart, but I said if you ask the question, how do you get that if you don't have it, and everybody says they don't know, Dr. Albrecht knew, and this this knowledge has been around for for pushing a hundred years, but it's hardly known. And one of the things that I'll say is cation exchange is the way the soil the, the the, the, the cation exchange um, system is the way the soil works. Most growers, most farmers who farm their entire life don't know anything about that. They don't know anything about their soil except how it re, except to how it relates to the crop that they're growing. All research is done based on that. Now, how is it that all research is done based on that but the farmers are never told about it? Money. By the way, sorry, go ahead and ask How are they missing the model? They're not, but their priority, remember what I said their priority is up here? Mm -hmm. Yield, Yield. Yield. we're gonna talk about that when we get to the biosynthetic, photosynthetic compared to biosynthetic production here. And there's another another priority and it was mentioned over here, money. Checkbook sites. Who does the funding of the research? You would be surprised, I've got a couple of books here, but you would be surprised if you go on and start searching, which are making it more difficult to do, there is more things understood than you can imagine. We know more things about what's right and what works than you can imagine. But what happens when you apply that? What happens when you apply what's right? What happens to the interventions, the dependencies, they go away? You have freedom. <laughs> Is that reality? And so, what happens to all of the industries and the vested interests that would go away? Do, do you think they're Do you think they're going to want to go away? Not willingly. And so, I hate to I hate to to say that that's part of the reality, but that's part of the reality. You know. We know a whole lot about nutrition, and yet people's health is getting worse. I ask people the question, do you, do you in, your, in your own life or just in general, do you think that we have the conditions that we want in life? Honestly, answer that question. Do you have the conditions in life that you want? Do we have peace? Do we have health? Do we have cooperation? We don't have those things. So there's a disconnect somewhere between what we want and what we have. So the causes being put into play are not achieving the, the, the effects or the objectives we want. So something's wrong with the causes we're putting into motion. The choices that are being made. But a, the, a lot of this has been known for a long time. A long time. Even in the church. Even in the church. And Kinsey has followed track pretty much. Neil Kinsey is the last living person who was actually directly trained by Dr. Albrecht. Um, and yes, he does. He does. He follows it. We're going to get into that when we do the soil test, And I better. I'm going to move past this slide here. Um, now, one other question: In his book, I don't know about Albrecht It sounds like he's an evolutionist, basically, right? But, but he understands the chemistry. Is that correct? No, he understands that, and he's not. See, the book was the book was kind of written for him with the information he gave, and so. Some of the slants that are in it, I'm not sure, are Neil Kinsey's. I'm, I think they're the person who did a lot of the editorial. So he's the last living disciple of Paul Brecht. He's the last living person who actually trained directly with him. Okay. So um, there was a German, prof- a, a German, he was a professor at one of the, the universities in Germany, and he taught this against the will of the, the university system in Germany. He taught it. He said, "Now this is what they want you. To, this is what they want me to tell you. So I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you to ignore all that, and then I'm going to tell you how it really works." He's dead now. He's like White, it? Yeah, he's dead now. But anyway, um, how the soil actually works, because we're about out of time here, how the soil actually works to provide nourishment to growing plants is through the colloidal exchange complex, the clay, the humus, and the root. Um, and we're going to get to the definitions of a colloid, but a colloid is just something that has a charge to it, and it attracts, in this case, it attracts cations, which we're going to talk about. Colloids typically have a negative charge to them, and they attract positively charged ions, uh, which, are, which are the cations, calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium. Okay? Um, but it's through this complex that clay has, is colloidal, so it has a charge to it. Humus is colloidal. So it has a charge to it, and the plant root is colloidal. It has a charge to it as well. And it's, it's the interplay of these that provides nourishment, Then there's other players in that. There's biology that's involved in that, um, and there's chemistry that's involved in that, but it's, it's through that complex that nourishment is provided to the growing plant. It's also provided through the organic matter humus storage facility too, in other words, Most of the anions, the negatively charged nutritional elements, uh, is stored in this complex, in the humus. It can't because it has the the opposite charge, like charges repel, so it's not going to be attracted to the colloidal complex because of that. And also, through microbial action and interaction, microbial action in breaking down elements in the soil and making them available to the plant and interaction with the plant through that where the, the plant puts exudates out in, in exchange for minerals and other complex compounds it interacts with the, microbe, the microbes in the soil and nourishment is provided to the, the plant. We'll, we'll touch a little bit more on these things as we we go along but that is how the soil actually works to provide nourishment to growing plants. That is understood it's known and understood um, but it is not disseminated. How many people think you? How many people do you think that have studied it know the truth, but they still don't disseminate it? There's reasons, the same reasons why they don't disseminate it. It's loss of power. It's loss of control. Money. You know what the word money means, by the way. I'll change this. You know what the etymology of the term money is? Have you ever seen on the dollar bill that that one eye at the top of the pyramid. Money is mon, one, I. Now, mon is one, I, money, the E is dropped off, but money, one I. Now, I don't have time, I shouldn't even brought that up, I don't have that. <laughs> You. You know how they, they put the, the uh, I don't, in like the Hindu religions, they put the dot up here on their forehead. And that one eye, they, they'll, they'll put that up here. It really actually has a legitimate, um, a legitimate... Um, it's the seal, but what it is, is it's actually the balancing of the knowledge of God with the right understanding of God, the right spirit. Where your mind is balanced, and it's singular, in its vision... And it is purpose, one eye. But they put money as mon eye because they consider that the power, that the wealth, rather than the power of God. OK. study of words is fascinating. People don't realize you know what stuff actually means and some of that stuff. A lot of the occult stuff actually has some very legitimate applications. It's just been corrupted. It's been perverted. Um, The difference between photosynthetic production and biosynthetic production. Photosynthetic production produces carbonaceous bulk, calories, primarily energy and calories, and it is yield-driven. Yeah, I'm going to give them the audio verse, and it's supposed to. Um, Biosynthetic production, this is not consistent with the biblical, with God's biblical purposes. It's not consistent with it. It's all about just your own thing. (laughs) Biosynthetic production produces mineralized, proteinaceous bulk. It's a complete food source, and it's driven by quality. On this side, you will be hard pressed to grow, mature, and bear fruit. Just doesn't happen. It's the reason we have so much trouble with obesity in society because there's a lot of calories but there's no nourishment. Um, On this side, you can grow, you can mature, and you can bear fruit. And you can consistently do it. Let's see, we're about, let me see. And this is the principle here. You feed the soil... And, you, and let the soil feed the crop. It doesn't matter what crop it is. Each crop, just like the 12 manner fruit on the tree of life, each one has a slightly different quality to it and requirement. But when you have complete and balanced fertility, it has everything it needs, and it takes what it needs from that banquet table. Um, and so you just need to be mindful of what those, you know, what those requirements are. Uh, we'll get to the blueberry thing. I was hoping I'd have time to do it now, but we'll get to the blueberry thing. Maybe I'll just do it real quick and we start the other one. But how many people you grow your garden based on the crop you're growing there? Like asparagus needs a pH of 7 and the blueberries need a pH of 5 and this needs a pH of that. How many people plant their garden that way? No. Um, It's because while those characteristics are important to understand, there's reasons why they have those characteristics. In a complete and balanced soil, everybody gets everything they need and we're done because my battery's running low. Okay, so what I'm gonna do here is we're done, just for the sake of the presentation, for the, the recording. If anybody has any questions, I'm happy to to answer them. We'll, we'll stop, take a break right now, but I'm happy to answer any questions with you. Does that mean then that, for example, Luger, mm-hmm. They do better, I mean, they, they, do okay. they tolerate it. Right? They don't. That would be the term to put on it. They tolerate it. And we'll talk, we'll talk about it. But they, Plants tend to tolerate the conditions, but there's a reason, and we're going to get to it in the, the weed part of it, there's a reason that plants grow where they do, and the reason why they proliferate and other things don't, and it's the conditions. And if you don't change the conditions, we'll talk about it, but if you don't change the conditions, you're not going to change the outcomes on it. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, too. We'll talk about that. Anybody else? Have a... You were saying that photosynthetic uh, produces a lot of calories, but they're not... It's not producing protein. It's not producing. it's not producing mineralization, high mineralization. And those are the things that are required for growth and maturity and fruit-bearing successful without intervention you can produce a crop photosynthetically. okay yeah let me back it up here i'm gonna have to plug this thing in you drive with potassium and nitrogen you can drive photosynthetic yield that's why when the conventional growing they'll use ph phosphate and potassium and of course they're adding nitrogen based on the crop um, they're driving yield with those. If you if you want biosynthetic production, you have to focus on calcium and magnesium and boron and sulfur and all kinds of other things because you're not going to get the protein production, the protein formation that you would get in this other system because not. You're getting nitrogen and you should be able to, and you do produce protein, but it's poor quality protein and it's not at the level. The, the protein content, like corn and wheat and all of those, has dropped dramatically from what it what it used to be, and that's affecting people's health. They don't they don't have the resources. Protein is important, you know. It's exaggerated in our culture, but it's, you know, and it can become a bad thing just because that's exaggerated and overemphasized instead of in balance. But you're just you're not <clears throat> you're not getting the balanced protein production, quality protein production that's necessary for your body to function to fully function without intervention this gets you function full function with, without intervention doesn't need to be propped up because it's healthy itself so did that is that So I mean so plants do need sunlight sure, and Sure yep that, yep but you're saying that This is this, this is system, just exaggerating that what What happens here is when you drive yield, you push the volume up you you dilute down everything else in in this approach. you just water down everything else, so your mineral content is is less per unit, your protein content is less per unit because there's not enough resources to now you can get that yield i I have a friend who does the same thing he consults out in Minnesota and he's got growers up there producing 400 bushels an acre of corn. Highly mineralized, protonaceous corn. And he's producing yields higher than these guys are. So you don't sacrifice yield to do this. You just add the quality to it. This media was brought to you by AudioVerse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about AudioVerse,